Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you today. We're going to talk a little about iron deficiency chlorosis, especially in soybeans, but this can affect a number of different crops. So we're going to explain today what this is and what you can do about it to solve the issue permanently on your farm, or at least to get you through this season. As always, we are happy to take your phone call if you have any questions for us or there's anything you'd like to talk about that's going on in your farm right now. Our phone number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us radio at agphd.com or find us on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty or Brian Hefty. Well, we are live in the Morton studio today and Darren, I want to start talking about IDC right away or iron deficiency chlorosis. This is an interesting one because if you test the soil, the iron is there. If you test the plant, the iron is there. (laughs) But the iron isn't in the right form. It's not in the ferrous form. It turns to the ferric form when your soil pH goes high over 7, especially over 7.4. And then it's just not available for plant use. Well, this has been one of the fun things, Brian, playing around with uh, soils on our farm. We, we're so blessed that we've got variable soils here, which are just a total pain in the rear to try and farm. But the cool thing is when you try different strategies, you learn a little bit about, hey, this kind of thing works over here and it doesn't work over there. One of the things that we've been working on the last few years has been pH adjustment out in our fields, and it's been really neat. I was just looking at a sample from one of our, our soil tests where we had put on a bunch of elemental sulfur trying to lower the soil pH. And where we did that, guess what? We had a whole bunch more micros that have come available when well, that pH got down. At least dropped, on that test. Yeah, Let's, a point I, and a half we'll to talk two about, full points. Yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit later and take a look at our tissue samples. But I want to get into this IDC thing and what it is. Well, I was just is, thinking iron specifically. We, we've got more iron showing up on the soil test. And also... Uh, here's where we go from being in a situation where, you know what, we could see some yellow beans there. We didn't see yellow beans there yet, but just because you don't see it doesn't mean the plant's not suffering. And I think it's going to be great. I'm really excited to see a tissue test from this year now. Okay, but here's the whole thing. If it's 7 pH or if it's 5.5 pH, not going to matter. You're not going to see IDC either way. You've got to have those pHs above 7. We usually see a lot of iron deficiency chlorosis when we're in the 7.5 to 8.5 range in soybeans and in a number of other crops. But to Darren's point, he said, okay, there's more iron showing up in this test. I don't care. Couldn't care less if it shows up on the test or not. That's not the point. The point is when the soil pH goes high, your iron turns from the ferrous form to the ferric form. And now all of a sudden, even though it may show up on the test, it's not going to be available for your plant. Your plant's going to turn yellow, showing symptoms that it's short on iron. But you test the plant, it says it's got enough iron. You test the soil, it says it's got enough iron. But still, you have an iron problem. So the number one thing I want to, I I guess I, I can't stress this enough we really want you to over time lower that soil pH. If 
you don't have a crop that needs a super high pH. So if there's no need for a 7.5 or 8 pH, why have that out in your field? You can absolutely fix that. Usually we talk about, hey, it's a drainage thing first. We want to take a look at that. Is it drainage? Is there a nutrient imbalance? Do we just need to get a bunch more elemental sulfur out and get that to flush through the soil? I mean, there are a number of things that can be done to lower that pH, and it can be be done you know, for pretty quickly. In a two to three year time span, there's no reason why you can't take an eight and bring it down to a seven if you want to. Now, I'm not going to necessarily say it's always going to be economical, but you're going to have less problem with iron deficiency chlorosis because here's the deal. Like with soybeans, for example, there are only a few beans that are great in IDC. There are a whole bunch of beans to pick from if you don't have IDC. So I want you to think about when's your best chance for yield, when I can only pick from three or when I can pick from 30. (laughs) It's not too tough to figure out. So one of the things that we've done on our farm where we've had ground where just in the short term, hey, we pick up ground, there are some high pH spots. Um, we have have had the ability to change varieties on the go, either with our planter or with our drill. And so we can have two different varieties out there, one that's good in IDC and another that's a racehorse variety where we can get more yield on the good ground. The other thing is when you have salt, so high salt, high nitrate, or high carbonates and bicarbonates, those are the cases where the iron deficiency chlorosis will look even worse. So those are not the cause of the IDC. The cause is the high pH, but your symptoms are going to be even worse if you have lots of salt, lots of nitrate, or lots of carbonates and bicarbonates. So a lot of times people will get hung up on these other things. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we don't want to take care of those issues too, but I'm just trying to tell you that's not the root cause of the problem. The root cause of the problem is the soil pH is too high. Now, in terms of a short-term approach, so again, we're going to talk to you about trying to get that pH down, improve the drainage, uh, you know, whatever else you need to do, correcting nutrient imbalances out there. But in the short term, the other thing that you can do is in furrow, use some iron. So if you use the right form of iron in furrow, then we've actually had pretty good results with that. You know, I think the one thing along the way there, Brian, that you were mentioning is, okay, you have this one factor and then you have another that stacks on it and another that stacks on it and another that stacks on it. And that's where it gets to be a real challenge. I, I talk to farmers from time to time that say, well, you know, I had a little yellow spot out my beans, but it didn't hurt my yield that bad. Okay, well, that's fine. If you have plenty of moisture, if you have good drainage, if you have, you know, all these other things, right. But the problem is we don't. A lot of times these iron deficiency chlorosis spots may also have soybean cyst nematode. Now you've got a plant that's struggling. Now you've got a nematode issue on top of that and and we have more problems. Or let's say you have another nutrient that you're short in as well. Now you've got another stress factor. And in those cases, we'll see some of these spots go down to zero or close to it. We'll see plants that'll even die uh, in the extreme cases. We just don't want that to happen. So we're going to talk about one of those factors today, iron deficiency, chlorosis, and soybeans, and what you can do about it to get more yield on your farm and make more money. We're also taking your calls and questions throughout the show today at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Efficiency is important to the bottom line, but your nitrogen program can be a challenge, as rainfall can leach nitrogen needed for a profitable crop right out of the root zone. 
Applied with UAN fertilizer, Proximus from Actigrow is proven to reduce nitrate leaching up to 69% and increase nitrogen use efficiency. To improve your yield, ask your ag retailer for Proximus with your next UAN purchase or visit StopLeaching.com. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today talking about iron deficiency chlorosis in soybeans. And you may be saying, wait a second, we don't even see this out in the field. In fact, a lot of guys don't even have soybeans in the ground yet. That's why we're talking about it today, because there are several different things you can do about this. And most of them happen on the front side rather than the the, the afterwards side. So you've got to pick the right seed. You've got to get varieties that can handle this for this year. But the other thing is you got to be smart with your planter and put the right additives on in your field. We've got Roger Strand with us right now. Uh, and Roger, you've been working on this for a number of years with guys that are struggling with iron deficiency chlorosis uh, and specifically been working with soy green. Can you talk about that? And, and, and uh, what's the difference putting it on in the furrow versus putting it on later? Thanks, Derek. Uh, very much so the, the in-furrow applications are the more preferred because uh, your roots are the preferred part of the plant that takes up nutrients versus the, the leaf surface of doing a, a post-emergence application. And uh, we have three formulations. One is a dry that's mixed with water and put on with a planter in-furrow. And we have a liquid formulation uh, that mixed with water also and put on with a planter. And then Two years ago, we came out with a granular formulation for air seeders. You know, one of the one of the well, two challenges here with this in furrow application. One would be just getting the product to mix and applying it, and we can talk about that. The other one is getting guys to use the right rate because it's not cheap, but the potential for an economic return is great if we can just get guys to invest the right amount up front. So, how do you determine the right amount, and then how do you get it applied? Okay, um, our recommended rate. Uh, even though our, we have a cell sheet that says two to four pounds of the traditional product or or uh, um, 
three-fourths or two-thirds of a gallon to a gallon and a third of the liquid, um, we would like to see that three-pound rate across, and, and that's for an average type of IDC. If you get in these areas where it's very, very severe, uh, high alkali, high salts, and the beans typically will die there, uh, a little bit increased, like an extra pound, will definitely help. We've, we've seen that. Um, but it just goes through your liquid fertilizer application equipment on, on a planter. And on an air seeder, it just goes in one of your fertilizer tanks, or your, if you've got two or three tanks, and one of them happens to be available, we can just put it right in there, and it goes right down in the furrow uh, with the seed. You know, I've found too many guys over the years that say, well, I put a pound on. Or I put it a, maybe even two pounds on, but they were in the worst of the worst areas. And I think you're right on the money, Roger. From my experience, the guys that have invested the money in three pounds or even more in the really bad areas have really seen a difference. And where they've played around with rates running through, you know, if you've got an area in the field and it's going to take a few passes with the planter heading through there, uh, they, they definitely know where they put the right rate on. And, and it, it certainly has been a good payback for most, too. Uh, the other question that I get. Get, Roger is all right if I get this going do I need to do like a variable rate where I'm shutting it off in other parts of the field will it hurt anything if I'm putting on iron in other areas of the field uh, variable rate is a, is a very uh, good application method the big question I always pose to someone that is looking at doing that is what you're basing your variation in the rates on is it is it based on pH is it a, a zone type of application? Um, is it previous yields? Whatever it might be, it, it's important to know why you're uh, why you're adjusting those rates. But the rates are still um, variable can can definitely be good. I still will always tell someone that is going to do a variable rate not to go below our recommended rate of that three pound rate uh, for the original product or the gallon of the liquid or six pounds of the granular for the air seeders because um, I can show them many pictures and I know you can't show pictures on the radio but um, of people that have done that reduced rate we can get a green bean you're just not going to get the yield response that you're looking for that's absolutely right. And there's, there's a ton of information online. I'd strongly encourage you if you're listening today and you say, all right, I don't know where to start here. Just just look up Soy Green online and, and start looking at some of the work that's been done. And as Roger mentioned, there's tons of pictures, lots of farmers that have been using this product. It's been out for quite a while and, and has had really good success in the marketplace. I've been talking with Roger Strand. He works with West Central over in Minnesota. Roger, thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on. I appreciate the opportunity. We've got Dusty out in Colorado right now, and and Dusty Farms, and uh, I'm I'm assuming Dusty, since you're on today, you got some soybeans that can occasionally turn yellow. That's a fact. <laughs> I'm sorry, I don't mean to make you admit to that just right off the bat here, Dusty. Maybe some of your neighbors might have have some of these challenges. That might be easier to admit to. Uh, what do you do in these high pH soils, and how do you how do you get your crops to be productive? Well, I guess the key to our success, you know, to kind of piggyback off the off the previous caller, you know, and iron's definitely a, a, a big supplement for us. Um, we got a lot of high calcareous type soils where we pH just runs off the off the chart really, and the nutrient availability becomes extremely tough. Um, so simply put. 
we're we're really trying to address it in the root zone, though specifically, with micronutrients. Uh, you know, um, and uh, microbiology is kind of the big thing that we're really addressing in that furrow with that seed, and or maybe in the strip um, below the seed, and just trying to make sure that we're we're keeping that those nutrients available where they can be uptaked in in the root zone all season long where uh, foliar applied is foliar applied and you can green green some things up but we haven't had a lot of success if we have to go and green something up it typically we're not going to see a economic yield response but if we can be proactive and put the sugar in the micros and the iron and the biostimulants the humates mix all those up and get them down in the root zone where we can really make a, a powerful jump start to a plant, take off and just get ready to roll for the season. It's a lot better than trying to play catch up over the top. Yeah, playing catch up is tough. And I, I love that you mentioned the microbiology because a lot of times they're focused on, hey, I see on a plant tissue test or a soil test and I'm struggling with nutrients, but Wow, if you've got a pH that's really high, I know the microbiology is struggling. What are you seeing there, and and uh, you know what are you what are you pushing with microbiology? Is it is it fungi? Is it bacteria? What what is it that's really helping for you? Um, particularly, we use a, a biosorb technology. Um, it's kind of some nanotechnology out there. It's uh, made by ISP Technologies, um, so it's kind of like it's a little bit of a mix of sugar and the, you know uh, the, the biostimulants and a little bit of humates kind of as a total carrier. It's it's hard to explain exactly what's all in there, but this this biosorb technology just allows it almost works like a surfactant. The way it allows nutrients that are available in the ground to kind of work and keep that biology healthy in the soil. Um, it's fun to dig roots um, side by sides when we have, you know, have some of this biosorb in the furrow versus where we don't. I guess it, it I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it's working. So uh, that that's a good sign right there. Yeah, I, I like the root dig idea as well. I think this is one of the things we, Brandon and I have just been strongly encouraging our listeners, try some of these new technologies out and, and then do some digging out in your field and just see if you're noticing some differences there. It's one thing to wait and see what the yield differences are, but there's so many things that can happen during the growing season that can interfere with how something's going to work or if it's going to show up. And if you get out there and do some root digs and take a look at the plants and see if you're noticing some difference during the year, that, that really helps to, to build confidence in, in what you're doing. Uh, Dusty, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for sharing about your neighbor's uh, issues with the high pH a little bit and and what's going on in your farm as well. All right. Thank you, sir. You bet. Thanks. Talking about iron deficiency chlorosis in soybeans, and when you think about iron, getting that nutrient into our plants, it's really important. Uh, and in a high pH situation, that can be pretty challenging. So we're going to talk about solving those issues. We're also taking your agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD if you'd like to call in as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back.
Want to cut production costs without losing yield? Brian Ryberg from Buffalo Lake, Minnesota has done just that. Here's his story. We began using a soil warrior in our farm fall of 2014. We've seen many benefits from better water infiltration, a lot less hours on equipment, fuel, able to reduce our fertilizer side, so it's really simplified our operation. See what makes Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco Vilify and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco Vilify and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Want to cut production costs without losing yield? The Soil Warrior can reduce trips across the field, optimize nutrient placement, and improve soil health. So you can lower production costs without losing yield. See what makes the Soil Warrior different and better at SoilWarrior.com. Ideal for herbicide applications, the Ultra Low Drift's large air inducted droplets were designed to eliminate driftable fines without sacrificing coverage. Its thick three-dimensional pattern creates multiple angles for the spray to cover the target. Hypro, helping you spray better. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. What do you think of when you hear Palmer amaranth or water hemp? If you use fierce herbicide in your soybean fields, you don't have to think about them at all. With two effective modes of action and up to eight weeks of residual control, fierce takes on even the toughest weeds like water hemp and Palmer amaranth. Take control of your soybean fields and get rewarded with Roundup Ready Plus when you choose the proven power of fierce herbicide. Talk to your local retailer today to put fierce to work in your fields. Always read and follow label directions. If you're a rancher who's obsessed with keeping your pastures clear, turn to Grace on Next Herbicide. It offers superior broadleaf weed control, so instead of thinking about weeds, you can think about the money you'll save growing more grass and buying less feed. Used early in the season, Graze on Next also provides residual activity that controls newly emerged weed seedlings, giving you season-long control. Start enhancing your land while you protect it. Visit LeaveTheWeedsToUs.com to learn more about Graze on Next. Always read and follow label directions. Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about iron deficiency chlorosis. We'd be happy to take your phone call if you want to call in 844-44-AG-PHD. That's what Luke did from down in Kansas. Hey Luke, how are you doing today? Not too bad, you guys yourself? Great, great. Just uh, waiting for things to warm up and dry out so we can get some more planting done. You bet, you bet. Well, we're not having to fight the dry right now. We're, we're drying up. <laughs> yeah, I'd be happy to share a little moisture with you, you know. <laughs> We've been getting plenty for about the last year now, so that's the way it goes. So it sounds like you're busy out in the field, and, and I hear you got some questions on uh, on soy green. What can we do for you? Yeah, that, that's right. So I, I think his name was Rick that called in earlier, and 
was kind of giving some amounts on that. So that two to four pounds is that actual iron or is that product? Uh, no, that's gonna that's gonna be product. So going to be product. Yep. Yeah. It just it just depends. There are a few different formulations. So if you had the granule, for example, uh, then yeah. that's roughly double what the normal soy green is. So the normal soy green. We're talking two to three pounds of that. If it was the granule version, then it's four to six pounds, and that's the product, not the actual iron. Okay. So how many pounds does that give you of the iron, that four to six pounds? Because we'll, we'll uh, not much. Like to try the granule. Sure. Yep, yep, not much. Uh, the granule, for example, is 3% chelated iron. If you look right on their label, uh, that's all it is. And so it sounds like... Oh my goodness, that is not very much at all. And you know, I remember when Soy Green, when we first started working with that years ago with farmers in Minnesota that were having a lot of issues with this IDC problem. And we just said, ah, throwing that little bit in can't make that much difference. And right away, we would see it green right to the line and getting a lot higher yield. The one thing I will tell you though is you can spray foliar iron later once Crop, a crop turns yellow because a lot of people will do that. They'll react after the crop has turned yellow, and they can go spray in those spots and turn it green. But unfortunately, we're, we're not seeing a whole lot of yield gain out of that. So in other words, the yield was already lost. If you do it early on the upfront side, that's where we're seeing much more gain. So if, let's say, for example, I had a field that had some spots of 8 pH and a bunch of the field was 7 pH. Well, you don't need any in the 7, but you absolutely need it in the 8 pH spots. So if there's a way you could set up a variable map or something so it just turns on and turns off in those spots, that's how you could best right. invest those dollars. Sure. Okay, so, so that kind of leads into my next question. Can it be blended with like 1152-0? Well, this well, is one of those things you want to put in for O. So you wouldn't be right. putting 1152-0 in for O. This is something you'd do separately. Right. Yeah, you you want to... Oh, go ahead. Sorry. With our drills, we, we put about 20 pounds of 1152 in the seed slice. You know, just as a starter type boss. So we, we've been getting along good with that. And if we could blend in a little bit of this uh, this uh, soy green, uh, that would be a way that we could also have some of that on there as well. Sure. My concern for that would be in terms of the bulk density. And if those products are different, then would one of them settle out or would one of them settle to the top? I don't know that. Um, that, that gets to me my concern anytime we're blending different materials together. So that's what I would worry about, number one. And number two, I would just say if I've got that all together, then I can't turn it on and turn it off as I go throughout the field okay. where I may potentially yeah. need it. So I, I, I yep. So I, I don't have the answer to that. If I'll tell you what, though, if you want to hang on, uh, I can have, uh, have Chanel grab your number here, and we can have somebody get in touch with you directly to try, hopefully try to answer that question specifically on mixing the two together. But I would just worry about those couple of things. Sure. Okay. Okay. Well, okay. no, that, that sounds fine. I appreciate you guys' time. You bet. Thanks a lot, Luke. Appreciate it. Right, let's go back to the phone. Let's get Hans Kandel with us right now as an extension agronomist up at NDSU. That's North Dakota State. Uh, Hans, thanks for joining us today. You're welcome. You know, we're talking about high pH soils, and 
iron availability for, for soybeans and other crops. And this is certainly something that I know a lot of work has been done at North Dakota State on. Uh, what do farmers need to know to, to really manage this problem well? Well, you do need to know your uh, pH, as you are mentioning, but also the bicarbonates in the soil, because that is a factor that, uh, you know, uh, aggravates the iron chlorosis expression. And then, you know, uh, besides the pH, it is also the nitrates and the salt that uh, kind of uh, work against uh, the uptake of the iron, so you can get more uh, iron uh, expression in those conditions. So it is a combination of factors that cause uh, the iron chlorosis. All right. We, if we lower soil pH and, and start addressing these factors one at a time and we say, all right, let's, let's try and lower our soil pH and maybe we improve our subsurface drainage, which sometimes is easier said than done. Uh, but if we start doing these things, the iron that's in our soil, is that going to necessarily change uh, in its uh, electrical conductivity? And so all of a sudden it's something that's going to be available for plants? Yeah, so the pH and the availability are strongly related. So when you have a high pH, it is much more difficult for the plant to take up uh, the, uh, the iron. So if you say you're going to lower the, the pH, that would help. But it is very difficult to um, lower the pH because we have so much, uh, in many soils at least, uh, carbon is in the, in the soil. So it is difficult to... To, uh, to lower that. But then what you were saying, if you can in, uh, change the internal drainage, for instance, with tile, you do a couple of things. You uh, kind of hopefully start to remove some of the salts. And also uh, the uh, expression of iron chlorosis is taking place under more uh, wet conditions. So that is taken care of. So And then also the temperature is higher in a uh, tile drains field. So those are management things that you could do with tile. Of course, you need to have an outlet, as you mentioned. Not everybody can do that, but that would be a management strategy that would be uh, affecting several of the factors that cause iron chlorosis. You know, some of these these uh, issues just aren't, well, really all these issues we're talking about aren't going to go away in one year. It's going to take some time. And Correct. and for a, a lot of our listeners, they're saying, okay, well, I can, I can start working on that, but that's probably a 10-year or 20-year fix. In the meantime, what are my best strategies? Is it picking a different variety? Do you like these chelated irons that are out there on the market? What, what are some of the things you're seeing that work? Yeah, so uh, we have done a, quite a bit of work on various uh, aspects, and so variety selection remains the most important thing if you have iron chlorosis as an issue in your field. So variety selection is important. Then if you start looking at the chelated product, still variety selection remains the main thing because a poor variety that has ex uh, an expression of IDC very easily, even with a chelated iron, it will not do as good as you want it to, to do. So the chelate is actually, uh, you know, it helps with varieties that have at least already some tolerance. Uh, the economics for a poor variety with IDC and uh, the chelated iron isn't quite there either. So the chelated products, I've used them and they work really, really good, but it is a combination of that, uh, you know, uh, strategy of variety, uh, iron chelate. And if you have an issue with nitrate, some farmers have been growing a cover crop to suck up a little bit of the, the nitrate before, uh, uh, you know, you get the expression of IDC. 
So that has been uh, done before, but it, uh, you know, there is also an involvement in money in getting the cover crop growing um, and then terminating it, but that usually can be done at the time of weed control too. So there are a few strategies. The other one would be uh, the, uh, the amount of seed that you put next to one another, so that can be done by narrow row spacing or increasing your seeding rate. And there is, um, you know, something about uh, the body working together, two Absolutely. root systems closer together, will, you will see less iron chlorosis. So that would be another strategy to increase your seeding rate in those uh, areas that you have IDC. Yeah, it's been really nice with variable rate planting population that a lot of farmers are set up with now to, to do that in those hot IDC areas just for Correct. another thing. Not a silver bullet, but just another tool that, that a farmer can use. been talking with Hans Kandel up in North Dakota at North Dakota State. Thank you so much for joining us today. really appreciate all the information. Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. High-yield corn growers know that feeding the crop and soil are keys to maximizing yield potential. Nutex EDA and Reverb are specifically formulated to help manage limiting factors associated with today's farming conditions. Nutex EDA works within the plant to support nutrient mobility and utilization. Reverb focuses on the soil, providing beneficial trace elements which help condition the root zone for optimal microbial activity. Low use rates and superb tank mix compatibility make Nutex EDA and Reverb no-brainers in the high-yield grower toolbox. White mold, sudden death syndrome, root rot. If you raise soybeans, it may seem like you have all the cards stacked against you when it comes to disease. But did you know there is a new cost-effective seed treatment which can help prevent all three? Heads Up Seed Treatment offers a new proactive approach for dealing with fungal and bacterial diseases. Compatible with other seed treatments, hedge your bet against disease this spring. Ask your dealer for Heads Up today. To locate a dealer, visit headsupst.com. Think about a quarter inch of rain. That's all it takes to activate Armazon Pro Herbicide in your corn and protect against weeds. Now think about a full inch of rain, the amount most other herbicides require for activation. How long will you have to wait to get that? The weeds hope you'll choose another herbicide. Your corn hopes you choose Armazon Pro Herbicide. Pick a winner. Talk to your BASF rep about Armazon Pro Herbicide today. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike incentive programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. You decide what's best for your operation, from pre-plant to harvest. Your retailer and FMC take care of the rest. It's really that simple. The exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing of the FMC Freedom Pass program make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. That's what we mean when we say we give you more freedom in the field. You'll experience more control and confidence, too. Generics and imitators can't promise that. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. This is one commercial for two herbicides, so we'll have to make this quick, okay? Here goes. Satellite HydroCap is great for pre-emergent control of grasses and broadleaf weeds and has a long residual life. New Satellite Flax, featuring UPL's patented transverse technology, delivers a high level of active ingredient over an extended soil coverage area. Both offer excellent mixing and handling characteristics and are valuable options for your resistant management plants. 
For more information on satellite herbicides, contact your crop protection consultant or your dealer. Always read and follow label directions. Thanks for tuning in today to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren, live in the Morton studio. Today we're talking about iron deficiency chlorosis. And next on the show, we've got Ernie Newquist with us. He is with Syngenta. Hey, Ernie, how are you today? Oh, very good. And I appreciate you allowing me on the show today. You bet. So as soon as farmers start talking to you about iron deficiency chlorosis, what are usually the first things you're bringing up to them? Well, uh, you know, management is probably the biggest thing. Uh, Most producers are familiar with uh, the pH levels, the uh, salt levels, the salinity levels, and the uh, ECCs out in their field. So as they're moving forward to figure out what seed they're going to put in the ground, we try to identify all the indicators that would, you know, uh, result in issues with IDC. I could certainly go through some of them if you'd like. Sure, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, all right. So um, typically, you know, the pH is often considered the biggest indicator. So if you have a higher pH, you, know, you tend to associate that with iron deficiency chlorosis. Uh, that is one factor, but you also need to consider the uh, cal- calcium carbonate levels equivalent in the, in the soil, as well as the soluble salts. So as we look at the bigger picture, we like to make sure we soil test each field prior to planting to identify these levels. Um, you know, some other suggestions as far as management is to plant soybeans in the fields where there's a low calcium carbonate level, low soluble salt level, and, uh, you know, you can kind of reduce your risk there. Beyond that, we always suggest to select correct variety that will best suit that environment. Uh, we have, within Sagenta, we have a long, uh, very uh, prolific lineup of uh, products that will handle IDC uh, in, in the higher, higher level pH and soluble salt and higher carbonate uh, fill. So, so that's one thing. Uh, you know, other things like management practices, typically the uh, wider row planting have, are less susceptible to uh, IDC than the narrow row. So, you know, that's a consideration. If you are going to go into a field that does have this issue, Besides planting tolerant beans, we suggest an infertile planting uh, application of some chelated iron. Now, after the plants come up, typically it's, it's uh, a challenge to put a foliar application and get consistent results. Because over time, the research indicates that uh, depending on the environment, sometimes it will work, others it will not have a, a real effect on uh, reducing or reversing the effects of IDC. All right, so you mentioned variety selection, and I agree with you 100%. That is huge, at least as a short-term thing. I mean, long-term, we still believe in, hey, just get the pH down, problem goes away. But in the short-term, when you've got this high pH and you've got the issue of, hey, I'm worried about IDC. I don't know for sure if it will show up, but I'm worried. Um, how What percent of soybeans out there do you think are really good on IDC? Because I don't think it's a very big percentage. I think it's more like 10% of the beans out there that are really good, maybe 20%. So my point is, I just think you've really got to work closely with your seed dealer to pick the right varieties. What's your opinion on that? 
I uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. I would say that amount, uh, 10% is probably very accurate. So, yeah, uh, this lends itself to making sure you have a good relationship with your seed source and, and identifying what you have to go with and targeting the best product on that field. Again, within uh, Syngenta and NK, we've actively been pursuing the best uh, yielding beans, but also will help to get to have good tolerance to IEC. In fact, this year we've introduced 68 new soybean varieties for the 2020 planting season. And within that group, there's a large number that uh, will have good tolerance to high pH. I personally am involved with what we call hill pods within our research side, where we evaluate every potential product to come in our lineup on very high pH soils to get a very good evaluation. So we do not want to certainly position stuff incorrectly when we get out and sell it in the market. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, too, because it depends on the test environment that you put these things in. If it happens to be a year where IDC doesn't show up so bad, then it's very common for a seed company to get some false readings. So when you put them into the very worst possible conditions, then almost every single year you're able to identify which ones are good and which ones are not. Well, hey, uh, Ernie, thanks a lot for calling in today. Really appreciate it. Good insight on our issue and our challenge today of IDC and soybeans and other crops uh, for that matter as well. So great to talk to you. I really appreciate it. Hope to talk to you again soon. Oh, very good. Thank you. Yep. Have a good day. Yep. Thank you. Yeah, one of the things Ernie mentioned there was putting wider rows in. And it's a little different compared to let's say sclerotinia white mold. We like wider rows. Now it's not a it's not gonna solve all your problems to go in wider rows, okay, with either issue. But with white mold, we like it because more air moves through, more sunlight gets in between that canopy. With Iron deficiency chlorosis, we like the wider rows because now the plants are closer together. And when the plants are closer together, you got to keep in mind what plants do is they kick out organic acids into soil. So when the roots are closer together, that means at least in that little zone, there's more acid, at least temporarily lowering that pH. And that does help reduce the effects of iron deficiency chlorosis out there and reduce the incidence of iron deficiency chlorosis. So that absolutely can be a help. Again, it's not going to solve all your problems, but it's just one of those little things you could do if you want to try to move forward with this disease. All right, well, it is time now for the Ag PhD Mailbag. Mailbag time. Questions. Answers. Brian. Darren. Mailbag time. Yeah. Mailbag. Yeah, we're talking about high pH soils today, and Jeff sent in uh, a comment. He said, I, after listening to your talk about high pH soils, I finally understand why my yard has such a high pH. My backyard floods constantly. Am I drawing the right conclusion? Well, yeah. I mean, that can obviously be one of the causes. So when we talk about it flooding all the time, I have to assume it sits kind of low and there's water standing there. And that generally means we have more issue with salts. And that often means we have higher pH. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Really appreciate that. I get one from Charger who says, I'm starting a collection of Roundup-resistant weeds to use for experiments for biological control. I've been pulling weeds along fence lines and power poles that have not been killed. Now, that's a good question. If they were sprayed by Roundup, I'm assuming you know for sure that they've been sprayed by Roundup. So, yeah, you know, this is the challenge as farmers are trying to get rid of Roundup-resistant weeds. If we can just keep our fields clean... 
Well, the weeds that are dead, they're not going to be Roundup resistant. But if we uh, spray Roundup and there's a sprinkling of weeds out there that doesn't get controlled, that's where we end up with problems because those weeds go to seed and it spreads through a combine or, or just naturally throughout the fields. And that, that can be a big issue. Uh, get a get another caller on the line here. We got David up in Michigan. David, how's it going today? No, trying to stay dry, but pretty good. Awesome, awesome. You were in the same boat. We're trying to stay dry as well. Uh, so you had <laughs> yeah. a question about planting trees. I guess uh, what what's yeah, your you'd thought? Mentioned that, you'd mentioned a year or so ago that you'd put in a windbreak, and your wife had commented that they weren't growing very good, and you said it was because of her agronomist husband didn't get the base saturation of something right you know remember that when we think about tree growth uh one of the things that neil kinsey had shared with us uh, neil's been on the show from time to time is that when you get the base saturation up in the seven to eight percent range on potassium you get faster tree growth and that's something that that i know the last trees that we planted uh, around the farm we did that we went out ahead of planting and put a bunch of extra potassium out there just to see what we could do. And, and it's interesting that, that uh, Neil had, you know, experience over many years and just, Hey, just cut open a tree and see what the, what the rings look like. And you can see where we've got good potassium availability, what a difference it can make. And I, I'm not going to cut any of my trees down because I don't have that many trees that I want to get rid of some. But uh, if I ever do have to cut a tree, I'm going to be curious <laughs> to, to look back and sure. see, okay, that's the year I put the potassium on and I've got a little wider ring there. Uh, hey, David, we're up against a break here. If you want to hold on, we can talk a little more about that right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We'll be right back. Decisions, decisions. Soybean and corn growers have to make a million of them every year. So UPL has narrowed your herbicide decision a little by creating Moccasin 2+. You see, Moccasin 2+, works with every variety and trait of soybean seed and provides long-lasting pre-emergent control of multiple annual grasses and small-seeded broadleaf weeds. So make the easy decision, Moccasin 2+. To learn more, contact your local distributor or UPL representative. Always read and follow label directions. A pasture should have two things, grass and cattle. No weeds, no brush. That's why Chaparral Herbicide offers the broadest spectrum weed control available. It controls weeds other products can miss, like buckbrush and Canada thistle. And less weeds and brush in your pastures means more forage, so you spend less on feed. Chaparral also suppresses seed heads, lessening the effects of fescue toxicosis, all while providing season-long residual control. Visit NoWeedsNoBrush.com today and learn more about Chaparral. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup Ready to Extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. 
Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Every farmer knows there are lots of steps to having a perfect season. Don't let your fertilizer plan be the step that trips you up. For over 35 years, AgroLiquid has had the experts and the products that'll help you move closer to your target. No matter when you apply fertilizer, no matter how, you'll hit the bullseye. AgroLiquid is the perfect fit for your planter fertilizer program. To learn more, go to agroliquid.com. AgroLiquid moves you closer to your target. With the success of the Case IH Tiger Quad Track and Magnum Road Track tractors, it's no secret why Case IH is the leader of the track. So it wasn't surprising when the competition started imitating us. Because Case IH offered the first five axle design to give you more power to the ground with less berming and compaction, all to help you be more productive. Still, we're flattered. In fact, if we weren't already red, we'd be blushing. To learn more, visit caseih.com tracks. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag time, taking your calls and questions throughout the rest of the show. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. And that, uh, the phone lines is how David in Michigan got a hold of us today, talking about trees and fertility. All right, David, uh, so what questions have you got, or what would you like to talk about? It, it was the potassium. I was when you first made that statement a year ago. I wasn't forgotten if it was potassium or something else. Yeah, the so, the potassium the getting that base saturation up in the seven to eight percent range is is ideally what trees would like. And the the cool thing about trees though is uh, it's not like well, what do you what are you planting? Are you planting a whole grove or are you just planting a tree or two? What what's your thoughts? Just two two or three trees. In fact, I'm more of a uh, maple trees to shade the house. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. You just want so, them to get, get, uh, big before, uh, you're not living in that house anymore. You want to enjoy them. Yeah. About the time my grandkids take it over, I can, they'll have nice shade trees. Well, that is why oh. we talk about fertility all the time. And, you know, with trees, it, it's a big deal. So Darren was mentioning Neil Kinsey and he, I remember Neil had said, well, you can get double the girth per year if you've got the right fertility there. Well, to me, you know, I'm pretty excited about that because I'm in the same boat you are. When we put trees in, we'd like them to get as big as as possible, as soon as possible. And also, we'd like them to survive. <laughs> so right. having good fertility out there is important. The thing that we'll tell you about potassium is it doesn't move down very well in soil. So Darren mentioned, okay, the year I put potassium on, I might be able to see something in, in the trees. Well, the challenge is if you've got heavy soil and you don't have a lot of rainfall, then it might take two or three or four years for that potassium to get down in the ground. That's why if possible, like before you put the trees in, you put the potassium on and then you work it in or you put the potassium on and you inject it into the soil. You do something to get it down into that root zone and then you'll get faster uptake of that. That was my next question about injecting it because I can liquefy it and shove a pipe down in the ground three, two, three, four feet and get yep. it down there. Yes. So, uh, yep. now, go ahead. Another yes or no question. Is that all trees or more specifically evergreens that you guys planted? That's all trees. 
All tree, yeah. I mean, you think about what is a tree? What's the main part of the tree? It's that base for almost all trees out there, and it's tremendous. So I think about a corn stalk, <laughs> and in comparison, you know, I want to have a good corn stalk or a good soybean stalk. <laughs> well, how puny is that compared to a tree? And just think of all right. the potassium we take to make a good corn stalk or a good soybean stalk. Well, just imagine what you need for a tree. It's enormous. There you go. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You bet. Thanks for the call, David. Yeah, answer my questions. Yep. Bye. Thanks. Brian, we had a question come in uh, from the Golden Triangle in Montana. Uh, we've got cheat grass and we've got Canada thistle that we're trying to get under control. And we'd like to have a, a combination of products with residual. However, we're rotating into pulses or oil seeds the following season. Are there any options left? We've been looking at products like Culex, MCP, and Brox in a combo, but uh, or a Brox combo, but that has only left a three like weeks old three weeks worth of residual program for us. Is there anything else you would recommend? Okay, well, first of all, Culex, MCP, and Old Buckdrill, those are just broadleaf herbicides, and you know the the buckthorn really isn't going to do anything on either cheatgrass or Canada thistle. So that's if those were the only two weeds. Now I'm assuming they aren't, but if those were the only two weeds, then throwing the buckthorn in is a complete waste of money. In terms of MCP and Culex, yep, they'll burn Canada thistle down a little bit, but the Canada thistle is going to come back. The problem is if you say, all right, I want almost I'm going to call it unlimited crop rotation because he says pulses or oil seed. <laughs> Well, there are a lot of crops that fall into that category of pulses and oilseed, and I can't use stinger. I can't use husky. So I can't use, uh, uh, let's say, Olympus or, I mean, some of these other products that are actually real good on the cheatgrass. I, I mean, I get really concerned about rotation when I've got potentially 40 different crops that you might plant the next year. So... Here, I'll just throw out a, a couple of my, my first thoughts. To begin with, on Canada thistle, if I could get it in a burn down, that would be ideal. So before I seed that, that uh, wheat in the spring or in the fall, if I could go with a really super high rate of Roundup, that would be great. The highest labeled rate, and I can do an excellent job on Canada thistle and start reducing the numbers. So then if I want to use any of these other products you mentioned and at least burn back whatever's left, I'm still going to be okay. In terms of the cheatgrass, the first thing I'm going to be thinking about is PowerFlex or uh, now... Corteva has combinations of PowerFlex that are in Gold Sky or Open Sky. Um, just look for something like that and talk to your agronomist about that. But I, I would just say those that chemistry, that PowerFlex chemistry, only is nine months to most of these other crops, like peas and lentils, for example. So once you know, once you identify, hey, I'm definitely going to rotate two lentils, for example, then th that that helps me a lot more. So when it's the potential of 40 different crops, that's that's tough. But if it, you said, okay, it's pea or lentil, all right, great. It's only nine months uh, with PowerFlex on those crops. So just some of the things you got to consider. And also Montana, it's really tough because you're so far north and you're so far west. So you don't get a lot of heat. You don't get a lot of moisture. And so that's where some of these rotations are even longer. 
compared to most every other state. So you got to really take a look at that as well. And for all of us as farmers, we always have to use some common sense. Just because the label says one thing, if we, let's say, get a cold, dry year, we may need to extend that rotational uh, restriction time and also, the other way to handle that is we could use lower rates, we could use different combinations. It does get tricky when you're in a cold, dry area of the country, so I, I totally get it. Now, the last thing that I'll throw out here is this. If, let's say, I've got a major weed problem and I go, you know what, I, I'm not going to care about next year. I'll, I'll go back to wheat for another year if I have to. If I have a phenomenal product on this weed, like let's say Canada thistle, well, stinger we know is amazing. I'm just going to bite the bullet and I'm going to say next year I'm going back to wheat or I'm going to some other crop that the stinger isn't going to hurt. Yeah, and you just have to clean up those areas. Sometimes you just have to get out of rotation for a couple of years, get things cleaned up, and then you're free to plant whatever you want. I, I like that strategy. Thanks for the question, Ryan. Really appreciate that. Going from Chris in north central Iowa, he said, uh, just told by a local dealer that I can't buy Nemastrike to put on seed by myself. They say it's too dangerous to handle. Come on. You mean it's a restricted use pesticide or what's the deal here? Uh, can you tell me a little bit more? I need some nematicides on my seed for better root and plant health and strength. Okay. Well, first of all, a lot of the nematicides out there are not real good. Even Nemastrike even if the well, data they're not, they're I've looked at. They're not silver bullets and standards. Right, you can't right. just say, well, I'm just going to plant I mean. continuous soybeans with toler or with susceptible varieties, and all I'm going to do different is put on nemastrike. Now, right. we're not saying you're doing that, Chris. I would bet you're probably in a rotation of some sort. Maybe you say, look, I'm already two years of corn, then one year of beans or something like that. I, I get it. But here's the challenge. A lot of these nematicide-type products are a little bit dangerous, and most of them require pretty – uh, fussy application. You've got to be really, really fine-tuned. And so things like Alevo or Clariva or Nemastrike, well, they aren't what? normally, uh, I don't believe any of those are labeled for farmer application. Oh, 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 okay, stop. But we, I don't want you confusing people on stuff. The, the biologicals, like let's take Votivo or Clariva, we're not saying those are super dangerous to human beings. The chemistry products, Nemastrike, uh, there have been skin sensitivity issues with that. If you go back to the old Temic, for example, that is a, a pretty dangerous product for humans to work with. So the chemistry nematicides, many are pretty dangerous for humans. When we talk about the other side and the biologicals, we're not so worried about the human safety, but with almost all of these. I can't tell you that there's one that you go, oh, wow, this gained me 20 bushels on yield. I don't think I've ever seen that, honestly, out of any of these nematicides. You mentioned Clariva, there's Votivo. Uh, Aveo, uh, uh, yep, BioST. Uh, yep. I mean, there's just a number and of different products one, that guys can yep, use. And this one that you asked about, uh, the chemistry product, Nemastrike. You know, we're seeing some gains where it looks like, okay, it's a decent return on investment, but it's not this home run thing. So don't be thinking, oh, I can't do it myself, so I just gave up 20 bushels. No, you probably gave up three. So anyway, that's so yeah, it's something it's not where, that big a where deal. your seed dealer could likely treat that for you with some of these different nematicide products. Absolutely, you could do, or you could do a Veo or BioST or something else that that would be a little bit safer for you. Hey, thanks for the questions today, and thanks for listening to our program. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio. Now, stay tuned for Rob Sharkey and Shark Farmer Radio. <laughs> 